Unchurned is presented by Update AI. The customer success team in many organizations doesn't own a number that the CEO or the CFO care about. And so the department is underfunded. It's one of the first departments where heads get cut when, you know, when the tough economy comes and the executive team doesn't value the function um, in the way that I think it should be valued. Welcome to Unturned, a show about the leaders and innovators of companies who have forged incredible customer relationships and stories you can use to advance your own career. Here's your host, Josh Schachter. Hi, everyone. It's Josh Schachter, CEO of Update AI. I'm really excited about our episode today. I'm here with the co-founder and CEO of Nuff Said, Chris Hicken. Chris, thank you so much for being on the show today. And thank you for including us, Josh. So Nuff Said is doing some amazing things. Uh, you guys are out in market now. You're helping to, to, to measure the value that's delivered to customers. We want to get into a conversation about value delivered to customers, about customer success, and how we can really expand the footprint of customer success, what, what companies are doing and are not doing in that sense. And we're also going to talk about product market fit. I really love you have a very interesting perspective on PM fit and an opportunity for companies and for the customer success function as it relates to product market fit. So our show is called Unchurned um, because it's all about being raw and all about ultimately building relationships. And so I want to kind of get us warmed up here a little bit so with a rapid fire round so we can get to know Mr. Chris Hicken. Let's go very quickly here. Yeah, let's do it. Where were you raised and where do you live now? Uh, right. So the first six years of my life, I lived in a very poor area of Caracas, Venezuela. So my first language was Spanish. Um, my parents were um, peace and justice workers. So they, they did um, work with developing uh, countries, especially in very poor areas. And, but most of my growing, you know, let's just say after six or seven years old, I was, I've been in the States, mostly in California. Although about three years ago, we got another place out in Salt Lake City where we're living the mountain life now. With a lot of other great tech companies out there alongside you, alongside the Silicon Slopes, as I'm told it's called. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's an incredibly interesting area from a tech perspective, because unlike the Bay Area, where a lot of the, the hub of tech is centered around like hardcore tech, engineering and product, out here in Salt Lake City, a lot of the companies, a lot of the core discipline or functional strength is around go-to-market skill. So you get a lot of companies with, uh, you know, strong products, but really, really good go-to-market engines. Why do you think that is? What's the history of that? Oh, yeah. Well, um, the, probably the biggest thing is, you know, uh, Utah, especially once you get out of Salt Lake City, is has been, you know, very high percentage of LDS. So uh, Mormon religion folks. And one, one of the parts of their tradition is they... Uh, do a year or two uh, missions where they travel to other parts of the world and they preach about their faith. And what ends up happening is, you know, you have these young people going out and learning other languages and learning how to, you know, sell a difficult product, right? It's hard to sell religion. And, you know, people are very resistant. You get a lot of no's. And so people come back with a thick skin. They come back with sales skills. They come back with skills on how to work with people. And, that ends up just making for really, really great customer success people, really good salespeople, really good SDRs, um, really good marketers. 
So you just that that culture has just evolved naturally here because of the the traditions of the, the Mormon faith. That's really fascinating. It make, that makes so much sense. I would never have thought about that. But yeah. well, you know, a lot of the tech companies here, no surprise, are um, down in Provo, which is about an hour south, a little less than an hour south of Salt Lake City, which is right near BYU, which is the biggest um, you know kind of LDS focused university. So you've got kids who graduate at 22, they've gone on their mission, they've acquired all these great skills and they're ready to go to work. Right. And I know Ancestry.com was one of the first big companies out in that area, which I think they, they were. were yeah. Right. yeah. There's, yeah. yeah. Ancestry.com, you got Plural site out here, you've got um, Omniture, which is acquired by Adobe. You've got a couple of other new upstarts like Domo and I'm blanking on a couple others. Yep. We've, yeah. So anyway, there are a lot, lot, of, lot of cool startups here in Salt Lake. Cool. All right, we're gonna try to go rapid fire here. What was your first? Okay, one? yeah, <laughs> that was a very rapid fire. Right? You know what? It what was interesting. I like I I, I wanted to, to to dive deeper. I wasn't, you threw me off with the. I grew up in one of the poorest neighborhoods in Crocusman as well. Like I wasn't gonna just let yeah. that go in a second, right? <laughs> All right, next rapid fire question. What was your first? Okay, I worked as a landscaper for a guy that my parents mentored in Venezuela, who ended up. A uh, really smart kid, found his way to the U.S., started a landscaping business, and I worked for him when I was 15. What time do you go to bed? Usually, it depends on work. I mean, the way that it works, I've got a two-year-old, so I take care of the two-year-old in the evening time. I've got the night shift. After he goes to bed, I put in a couple more hours of work, and whenever I hit the wall, that's when I go to bed. But it's usually 11 or 12. What's your favorite hobby? Either scuba diving or sport driving. And I saw your, your recent video of your Galapagos Islands expedition that was pretty awesome yeah thanks it was an amazing trip all right last question for you here because our show and our trade that you and i are both in is all about building relationships outside of any of your family members what's a relationship that you cherish the most yeah i have a, I have a, lo a very long answer to this but the, the short version is i'm a big believer in mentorship and there are different side there are different tiers of mentorship that i think are important and so i have very strong relationships with mentors that i've developed over the last 15 years. And I very much cherish, and I learn from those relationships constantly. We can dive into that one. Let's call that out. So tell us about a okay. mentor who's, who's taught you a lot of stuff. Yeah. So, um, the way that I think about mentorship is you should have someone who's about at your stage of development. So someone that you can use as a sounding board, someone who is two or three years ahead of you. So has they, the person who has the job that you want to have, and then someone who's a lot older than you, someone who can take a look at the big picture and say, look, big picture, this is what you need to be focusing on. And so one of the people that I'll focus on is the person who's, you know, a couple years ahead of me, a guy named Terry Flynn. He um, was a serial CEO, but interesting background, did some work in theater and um, did a lot of consulting work. And he's just a really, smart guy who's process oriented, who can think like a CEO. And over the years, he's helped me see around so many corners that I wouldn't have been able to see around myself because I hadn't gone through it yet. And so he's, you know, as a first time CEO, you know, I've, I've been an early stage executive, but a I'm currently a first time CEO. He's helped me see around a lot of corners that I otherwise would not have been able to see. Yeah, that's great. So you were the president and chief operating officer of usertesting.com. You have been a mentor and advisor and investor in many startups. And now you're the founder and CEO of your own, of Nuff Said, um, which is gaining traction in our market. So what drew you 
to creating enough said what what is your mission as you guys see it yeah the the thing that started me down this path was at user testing as the company was scaling what i noticed was that people in every department you know as the organization got bigger it got harder and harder for people to focus on work that mattered so they were busy everyone was working 10 12 hours plus but we weren't getting work done that mattered. <laughs> so what started me down the path was I wanted to solve that problem. And I've always been very passionate about the customer success department in general. It's, you know, near and dear to my heart. I'm, I, you know, I, I personally am passionate about customers. So we started with the customer success department first, and we had this roadmap of, you know, five or six products that we wanted to build for customer success. And um, one of them, the one that's taken off uh, the most, is uh, a product that solves, again, a problem that I'm very passionate about, which is that as a company scales up, everyone loses touch with the humans that are using your product. And we end up using data to try to guess what the customer's experience is. And what do I mean by that? We look at product usage data. We look at time to value. We look at health scores. So we've got all these numbers to represent our customers, but we don't have a way to connect with the human experience. And so Nuffset is solving that problem by making it possible for anyone at the company to be in touch with the actual customer experience that's getting delivered and the humans that are using the products. So, um, and we, we don't have to get into how that product actually works right now, but that's that's the problem that we're going after. And that's what I'm personally passionate about. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, I share that passion. That's the product that we're after too, in a very different way is about yeah. building those relationships, right? Like that, 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 that touch point between the end of the day, we're just humans um, connecting, right? Whether you're your company vendor, et cetera. So um, I, I fervently agree with you. Let's, let's shift over to talking about customer success at large. We are both, um, you know, embedded in the CS community. And one of the things that attracted me to customer success was just that, that outreach of the community, how they, they bring you in and really welcome you. And I've seen that community growing over the past year or so that we've been really involved. And I also still feel like there's something more, right, for customer success, that it's it's just now starting where it needs to ultimately get to as far as its presence and clout and influence in the organization. And I know you share a somewhat similar view. How do you feel about where customer success is today in respect to where it really should be or will be or, or is going? I do have a lot to share on this and some of it's good news and I think some of it's bad news. Um, I do agree with you that the customer success community has grown and and I think the, com the community is very welcoming to each other and it's a helpful community. Also, customer success has been developing as a function for over a decade now, and we're starting to see some problems with how we've built the, the function. What I mean by that is a lot of customer success leaders believe that customer success should not own a number. They should not be quota carrying. Uh, in fact, I, that, might, that might even be the dominant um, perspective now, but the end result of this thinking and the way that, you know, our focus so far, right? What, what do customer success teams focus on? Faster onboarding, better QBRs, better playbooks, um, you know, better health scores, better product usage data. Um, as a result of that, the customer success team in many organizations doesn't own a number that the CEO or the CFO care about. And so the department is underfunded. It's one of the first departments where heads get cut when, you know, when the tough economy comes 
and the executive team doesn't value the function um, in the way that I think it should be valued. And also you're starting to see some posts from, you know, very prominent companies, you know, Snowflake right now, I think among pu public companies has the highest net retention rate of any public company. And the CEO is on, you know, is on record publicly saying that customer success should not be a, de a department. Customer success should not exist at all. And it should be a combination of sales plus customer support working. I didn't realize so, that. I knew that Snowflake had an incredible, you know, NRR. I, I think they were at like 160, 160% or something like that. But I didn't realize that their CEO is on record saying that. That's, yeah. that's a, that's yeah. a major yeah. statement. Yeah. So he, yeah. yep. And so, and we're seeing more examples now of customer success leaders who in the eyes of their CEOs aren't strong enough. And so customer success is now just a, another arm of the revenue function. So that's, those are some of the challenges that the customer success team needs to face in the next decade. Uh, and I think it's up to, um, consultants, vendors, and thought leaders in the customer success category to help shape the way that customer success could evolve in the next decade. So it doesn't become this, you know, group of nice people in the corner who don't really do much important, but they're really good at being nice to customers. And, and, and unfortunately that's the, that's the perception of a lot of, um, executive teams, CEOs, CFOs, um, and investors. Is the drag of taking notes after back-to-back -back customer meetings slowing you down? Or even worse, did you miss something your customer asked for three meetings ago? Update AI, the latest investment from Zoom Ventures, is here to help. Featuring the world's most advanced artificial intelligence to detect action items, Update AI joins your Zoom meetings and in real time delivers your follow-ups and next steps from customer calls. Save hours of busy work, stay more present in your conversations, and make sure your team is always on track. Sign up for your trial of Update AI today at www.update.ai. Nature of so, so it's interesting your comments there because it's a, it is a double-edged sword, right? So what, what attracted me to customer success was how warm and welcoming the community was, and how how relationship focused they are. We are. And at the same time, it, it maybe it comes at the cost of being too nice in, in, in some way, you know, focused more on that humanistic approach as opposed to, like you're saying, really advocating for yourself. Like sales is, is of course, not afraid to do and, and has made them so critical. I think what's also interesting is, in, in my view, customer success has not gotten the credit that it's due because it's a multi-attribution problem in many ways. You know, in, in sales, you convert, you sign a contract and that's, that's a single metric of conversion. I, the salesperson, got this other person to sign on the dotted line. You know, I, I converted that. Mm -hmm. In customer success, it's fuzzy. It's fuzzy. What is conversion? I suppose it's renewal, but also it's preventing churn, which is similar. But, you know, but also, like you said, it's also satisfaction and all these other things that are, are just a little bit fuzzier and they're correlated to more than just the customer success manager. They're correlated to the product, they're correlated to the overall experience. And yet we, but, but we do still know how important customer success is in that equation. So I, I, it is, it, it's tough. I'm, I'm curious, like what your thoughts are on, on what is that roll up metric that that could solve this or, or what are some of the, the ways that we could work around this? Yeah, well, I think um, to kind of, two, I have two strong opinions about this. 
The first one is how customer success can drive a different operating philosophy with, within the company. And the second one is the measurement or the scorecard that customer success could bring to the executive team that the team will actually care about. And so do you care which order let's we go, go in? Let's go in the order that you listed them. I mean, whatever order you want to go in works for me. All right. All right. Well, let, let's start with your, your, your question, which is what, what number, okay. So what, what numbers does customer success own today? If they don't own renewals, well, they bring time to value, health score, net retention rate, which a lot of times they don't actually own it. If they're not doing renewals, NPS score, CSAT score. The thing is none of those numbers appear on the CEO's morning dashboard. None of those numbers are things that the CFO is going to give you budget for. So what are we doing? Like, why do we exist? Um, we own all these numbers that no one cares about. Certainly investors don't care about any of those numbers. So what, what do investors care about? Well, my take is that customer success, when it becomes more mature over time, should become a product market fit machine for your business. What I mean by that is the customer success executive should own product market fit for the business. And the reason why I'm saying that is the customer success leader is the only leader who has full, the full view of the entire customer journey with your company. So they can see what happened in the sales process, what the experience is with the product, how they feel about pricing, how they feel about the company's positioning, how technical debt and, and bugs and issues are affecting the customer's experience and the customer's journey. Uh, how are uh, services, you know, do customers trust the services that are being delivered? Do they are the best people assigned to the account? There are literally 50 different key experiences that each customer goes through and the customer success executive has visibility if they want into all of them. So what does it mean to be accountable for product market fit? The customer success executive can and should score the quality of the experience delivered at each point. If the customer success executive can do that, they can, they can score each moment in the journey, then the customer executive can also see, okay, as a business, this is where, where we are accumulating risk, relationship risk or churn risk. And this is where we're accumulating opportunities for growth and expansion. So once a month, the customer success executive comes with their scorecard to the executive team and says, product, I need more resources here services. I need more resources here. And oh, by the way, marketing, we're starting to see this competitive risk creep up over here in the enterprise segment. We're going to need some focus on that over here. So rather than being a reactive executive that owns numbers that no one cares about, now the CS executive owns the product market fit scorecard and is directing the resources of the business to improve net retention rate and the overall overall quality. Of the I really love that. Um, you're, you're suggesting for customer success to play air traffic control and yes, are, is customer success currently equipped to do that? Or does that require a different type of skill set in some ways? I think customer success has all of the skill needed today to pull this off. It's just about orienting the department to focus on running a better business rather than running a better customer success department, meaning less focus and emphasis on you know, time to value rather than going from 40 days to 30 days, or rather than getting, you know, our health scores from 78% green to 81% green. Well, let's actually take a step back and look at what are the factors that lead to lower time to value, slower time to value, worse health scores, and use that data to drive internal decisions. So there's, there's very little new skill or capabilities or tooling needed for the CS executive to pull this off. Are you practicing this at said? Yeah, so we have a product market fit scorecard. Um, we're measuring 18 points in the customer journey. 
our customer success lead is scoring each of those moments. Every week at our company huddle, we review what our company scorecard is on delivering value to customers. And we make frequent adjustments to address the needs of customers in real time. And that's, that can really be across the board, product services, pricing, um, paying off technical debt, uh, you know, competitive threats, all those things. My background is as a product owner, product leader. And, and so my first thought that comes to mind is, okay, well, wait, are you, are you trampling on other domains then in some ways? I'm playing a little bit of the devil's advocate here. I've asked this question of CEOs and COOs, which is who owns, which executive owns product market fit? And the answer is always nobody. Now, if you, if you ask the executive team who owns product market fit, you might get the marketing leader raising their hand and you might get the product leader raising their hand, maybe. But when you start asking them questions like, okay, well, how are you dealing with problems of, about services delivery or how are you dealing with problems of pricing? Then the product leader realizes like, well, yeah, you're right. I'm not, I don't own product market fit. I only own the product. <laughs> um, and when you start asking the marketing executive, like, hey, how, what decisions are you making around, you know, tech debt, pay, paying off technical debt or feature roadmap? They realize like, oh yeah, that's right. I, I actually don't. I mean, I own positioning and I own branding and pricing, but I don't own the whole customer journey. So there are pieces of this where product and, and marketing might feel like, hey, that, that's really my responsibility. And if I was the, in the seat of the customer leader, leader, I'd say, you're right. I'm not accountable for this. All I'm doing is I'm surfacing what customers are saying so that you can take action with customer data as opposed to a Gartner research report or some highly paid person's opinion. I think this is really important. I'm still stuck, honestly, in that snowflake thing, Chris, because I remember watching Dave Kellogg's presentation on the importance of CS and correlation of NRR to enterprise value and showing snowflake as the really golden child of that. And, and, and I've used that in my presentations and I've used that in my VC pitches to show that customer success is on the rise. But then to know that the CEO of Snowflake, <laughs> who has the, the ultimate benchmark in that, is advocating against CS, you, you kind of just shook my world with that, that fun fact there. Well, and, and you also have, you have Tomas mm -hmm. Tungs at, at, uh, Tungus at um, Redpoint, who also published an article about a month ago, maybe it was six weeks ago, that showed that um, customer success probably is not a needed function when you're dealing with enterprise accounts. You know, it's more valuable when you're talking about mid-market and SMB, but probably not necessary in, in the enterprise. So there's, there is a movement right now uh, to shift resources away from customer success and give more resources to account management and to customer support. And if customer success isn't proactive right now, um, it will be a much less important department in five years. And at the end of the day, does it matter? I, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, customer success has done so many wonderful things. If if it's if it gets absorbed by other functions, but it's still able to deliver the same outcomes, then maybe it doesn't matter. I don't know. Here, here's the uh, you know, um, it makes a, it actually matters a lot. And also, I'll get to my second point here, which is that. The world of software needs a new operating model to grow their businesses. So if we take a giant step back, what do investors care about? You know, for you, even for you, Josh, your investors put money into update.ai and they said to you, I'm putting money into your company because I expect you to grow the value of your company and increase the value of my investment. So in the eyes of your investors, you are a value creation machine. 
they want you to double, triple, quadruple, 10X, 100X their investment. So you are highly incentivized to grow the value of your company. In the early days of SaaS, investors rewarded CEOs who grew their businesses at any cost, right? And so that led to a sales-led growth motion where companies were pumping sales and marketing full of tons of budget. Like who cares how much you're spending because the only thing that investors care about is top line growth and who cares how much money you're burning. And then right around 2015, Wall Street started, you know, these IPOs started happening and Wall Street's like, man, guys, it's too expensive to grow these SaaS companies. So there's this, you know, the shift, you know, you start seeing the rule, the rule of 40, what came out in 2015 and boom, now all of a sudden Wall Street values companies that can grow efficiently. And no surprise, shortly after that, product-led growth became the new operating model. We're now, uh, because of network effects and uh, having products that are stupid simple to, to install and use and get value, now suddenly you've got this whole category of product-led growth. The problem is that most software companies, I would say 95% of software companies, that might, that might actually be a little bit low, most software companies do not have a product that's appropriate for product-led growth. It requires integrations or training and onboarding. If you, if, if you have an education department, if you have an onboarding team, if you have integrations, you are not product-led and you never will be. So most companies don't have a product that's appropriate for product-led growth. But Wall Street is still only rewarding companies to grow efficiently. So a new operating model is needed to drive growth. And, and I, I, I have coined that term customer-led growth, although the reality is this movement has been happening for a while and I'm just giving it a name. And in the customer-led growth movement, a business orients itself kind of like a product-led growth company around obsessing around the value that they've delivered to customers. And so all of the company's metrics, the way the company makes decisions is around value delivered. And if you, and the reason why I'm, I'm bringing this up is if you don't have a team at the company who's not only measuring value delivered to customers, but obsessing about it every day. If you don't have that team, then what, what you're left with is a, a, a sales-led growth motion. People on the company who only care about the transaction, growing the account, and they don't care about the customers receiving value. So that's the thing that I'm worried about if the customer success department gets minimized over the that, next That makes so much sense because years. you have, you mentioned update AI, right? So so we, 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 we get investors, immediately you're on the clock to grow revenues and and no investor is asking oh wait and, right. and not that nps is 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 probably the right you know metric anyways but oh what's the nps of your customers oh what, are they satisfied no who gives yeah. a shit if they're satisfied are you growing revenues yeah. what are your numbers you know the emails exactly. that you get too right from these investors which are the the most annoying emails in the world to get and you, you just kind of you put them off until they until their, their junior associate you know nudges you to respond right but what is that email it's what what are your numbers this month? Are you on yeah. track? And it's not are you on track on, on customer value yep. delivery, right? exactly. uh, and, and so then that becomes that that pressure goes downward, you, you know, that gets downward to the head of sales and, and then to your sales team, and then to the, and it percolates across the entire yep. organization. Um, and it's not pure. It's not pure. And I think what you're saying is, yeah, good. Well, it, you're right. You're right. It, if the focus is just sales dollars, then you're going to do stupid stuff. If the focus is value delivered. Then you're going to create this wonderful ecosystem where customers get value. They tell their friends. They are happy to be references. Uh, their accounts grow over time. So you have this kind of natural growth that happens, almost like product-led growth, 
but you're not doing it through a simple to use product. You're, you're doing it through ensuring that you're and, always and I do like value. this, this uh, movement that you're creating, you're, you're labeling it. And I love that you're creating this category, customer led growth, hashtag customer led growth. Sign me up for that. It, and it is important. Yeah. 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 I'm just, I'm just giving a name to something that's been, you know, kind of percolating yeah. up for yeah. four or No, five that makes years. sense. And, and this idea that if, if there needs to be the standard bearer of that, because otherwise the pressure will, will be too much to push up against. If there's not somebody who is obsessed and, and that, that angel on the shoulder, always checking in, are we doing the right thing for the customer? So I, I appreciate that. Chris, this was a great conversation. Right. You opened my eyes to, to many things here in this discussion. And I wish you the best of luck as you continue to grow your customer led growth of enough set and help shape this community. Thank you so much for being on the episode. Yeah. And thanks. And as, as a company, but also just me as an entrepreneur, we're always cheering on other companies in the category that will help elevate the customer success function. So thanks. Thanks for, for what you're doing at update for helping to build better relationships between companies and customers. Hey guys, it's Josh. Don't hang up. If you enjoyed this episode, you know what, even if you didn't, I'd love for you to give us a rating in iTunes or Spotify. And after you do, email me josh at update.ai with the name of your favorite charity. And my company, Update AI, will make a donation on your behalf. I'd love to connect with each of our listeners. Send me a LinkedIn request and I'll accept it immediately. Just go to www.update.ai slash LinkedIn and it'll redirect to my profile. Thanks.